Hello, dear sisters in Christ. It's good to be speaking to you again. Today, uh, we are studying the passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And it reads like this. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. The others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely in t in t intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Thus, thus is the word of the Lord. So, what has been the most trying, vexing, soul-straining thing that you have had to endure as a result of this pandemic? Perhaps it's the masks. I found it so irksome to reach the entryway to the grocery store only to discover that I have forgotten and left my mask in the car. Or it might be the 10-person limit to any social gathering. I have a neighbor who walks her beautiful golden retriever around our neighborhood and counts the cars at each home she passes marking whether they might be exceeding the 10-person per limit. 
<sighs> and I know that we all feel deep grief that our church remains closed. We long to see one another and be together. These things and many others are very taxing and trying to our souls. In his book titled Last Stand, author Michael Walsh writes these words. He says, after a year of COVID, during which we have surrendered our civil liberties and our way of life, what have we got to show for it? We live effectively under house arrest. Interestingly, as we begin to read and delve in today's passage in Philippians, we find that the Apostle Paul is quite literally under house arrest in Rome as he awaits his trial before Caesar. When I read this passage and its backstory, I realized that although the strain of our current restrictions might sometimes feel like it, very few of us have any understanding of truly being under house arrest. However, Paul did. Truly. How did this happen to him? Paul wanted to go to Rome. He had written them and said, Pray for me that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. And that's exactly what happened. But how it happened is an incredible story. And it went something like this. After his third missionary journey, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He's in, one day he's in the temple area with another believer, and he's intending to fulfill a ceremonial ritual because he's Jewish. Some of the Jewish leaders spotted him there, and knowing his uh, reputation with the Jews, they start a riot and they attack him. So a Roman soldier arrests Paul, not intending to punish Paul, but to protect him from the mob. However, he is about to have Paul beaten to placate the mob and then to release him when Paul pulls out his citizenship card and he says, you can't beat me, I'm a Roman citizen. And so he's taken to Caesarea by the sea where he spends, ends up spending two years. During that time, he goes through three trials. He stands before Felix, governor, and then Festus, new governor. And finally, he stands before Herod Agrippa, the king over the area. At that point, he says, you know, I am done with all this crazy judicial stuff. I appeal my case to Caesar. And it's a right that every Roman citizen had. So because he said that, they put him on a ship. It's not a cruise ship. It's a prison ship. And they send him to Rome to face trial before Caesar. But he almost doesn't make it because the ship sinks. And then he has to swim to shore. Finally, he makes it to Rome, where he's put in jail again. This account, all of this that took place that I just recited to you, or recounted to you, 
result uh, in his house arrest. Uh, it, and it's what Paul means when he writes to the Philippians these words that begin today's scripture passage. Remember, we began at verse 12, and that's when he wrote the, this. He wrote, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. The Philippians were expecting Paul to tell them how he was doing. He might have told them about his living conditions or details of his upcoming trial. That's typically what they wrote about in this sort of letter back then. But rather than tell them how he is doing, he tells them how the gospel is doing. Because sharing the gospel is Paul's grand passion. Let's make certain that we are on the same page, so we're going to sidetrack a little bit, to know what the gospel is, the gospel that he was sharing. The gospel is the good news that the war between God and man is over. It's the good news that the Son of God, Jesus, has opened the way for all people to be reconciled to God. And... For them to have a close and tender relationship with their creator, our creator. And now that they may call him father. But back to our understanding of Paul. Everyone has a grand passion. Everyone does. For some reason, for some it's a career. And for others, it's power or money, but it's whatever you pin your hopes and dreams on, whatever occupies most of your time of thinking, where you put your money and your energy. For Paul, that was the furtherance of this good news. Why? Why is this his passion? It's because... The gospel is the only thing that could change Paul. Paul saw the light, and he heard the voice of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then after that, his life was never the same. And it's when people have seen and felt and experienced the power of the gospel in their lives that it becomes a passion to them. It becomes something that they prize and they hold on to, never intending to let go. A good example of, of being able to witness this in uh, the original disciples and followers of Christ's life is this video series called The Chosen. Bob and I are doing a Bible study that's based on this. And when I first heard about this, uh, I thought, the chosen was going to refer to Jesus, that he was the chosen, the chosen one of God. But it's not. It refers to those whom Jesus chose and who responded to his initiatives and his invitation to follow him. Bob and I have purchased the DVDs, even though it's free on YouTube, to watch. Uh, it's a crowdfunded project. And so if you watch it on YouTube... It'll be interspersed with the Dallas Jenkins, the creator, pitching for contributions to, to continue making more 
of these episodes. We have watched the first year, the or the first season DVD series many times. And we recognize the hungry hearts of the characters as they encounter and respond to Jesus' call to follow him. He beats each of them at their hungriest, most desperate juncture of their lives. And in the study we're doing, one of the questions asks, which of the four flawed but still called characters in The Chosen do you identify with the most? They, up to that point, we'd only learned about the lives of, uh, or we'd only met the characters of Mary of Magdala, Nicodemus, Matthew, and Peter. I responded Mar- that I uh, related to Mary. And Bob said that he related to Nicodemus, or he identified with him the most. But if you want to see what it's like to hunger and to have Jesus meet that hunger and to know that, and that Jesus knows that you have it and answers you, I encourage you to watch this series. It makes me cry. I watch, every time I watch it, it makes me cry and feel the deep joy of meeting Jesus all over again, every single time. It's really, really worth it. But that was a digression, so, and a commercial. I hope you will get to see it if you haven't already. Let's get back to Paul. Here he is, under house arrest. Daily, he's shackled to a member of the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard is the elite guard of the emperor. They are his bodyguard. Although Paul is attached to the palace because of his impending trial before Caesar, he's not in the palace. He is in a rented home, and he is chained to a guard. The guard changes every six hours, but he's chained to one of them around the clock. Paul can imagine, you know, Paul may be chained to them, but... They're chained to him, too. And you can imagine what he talks about with them, especially at night. The apostle and the soldier, they'd be left to talk. In those dark, lonely hours, he might have taught the soldier about his own career and his early life. He might have told him of his opposition to Christ, his ultimate conversion, and it's during then that they, he would make it clear that he was there as a, that he was a prisoner, but not for a crime, not because he raised a rebellion or a revolt, but because he believed. He believed that he, whom the Roman soldiers had crucified under Pilate, was the Son of the Living God, and the Savior of all. And some of these soldiers got saved. Paul's incarceration, the suffering he experienced, it furthered God's plan. This emboldened the fellow believers in Rome. It quelled their fears so that they too boldly shared God's message. Paul ended up remaining under house arrest for two years, during which time people could come to visit him, and they did. Acts 28 tells us that Jewish leaders came to visit him, and Christian leaders came, 
and citizens of Rome came, and he talked with them all, and he shared his passion. He shared the gospel. He did it boldly and without hindrance. Nothing held him back. You know, not only did these things happen, but it was during this time that Paul wrote letters to the Christian believers in Ephesus and Colossae and to Philemon. These letters are now the four, book, four of the books of the New Testament. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. These books have instructed and inspired Christians for thousands of years. Had Paul not been imprisoned, they might never have been written. That blows my mind. How was it that Paul was able to be so bold and so determined to share this good news with all? Why wasn't he afraid? Why wasn't he afraid of being being canceled? <laughs> Why wasn't he afraid of how culturally abnormal he was outside of the stream of culture? Afraid of the Roman guards? Afraid of Caesar? Well, the answer lies in these words, which begin just before verse 21. He says, And I trust my life will honor, will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is even better. Paul has fully, completely, entrusted his life to Christ so that living or dying he honors Jesus. If he survives the upcoming trial he'll be able to do more fruitful work. He'll be able to share the gospel, to disciple and encourage the young Christian communities in Asia Minor, Northern Greece, and Turkey. But if not, and he is executed, he goes to his forever home to be with his Lord and with all those who have gone before him. It's a win-win in his perspective. Sisters, any type of confinement is a challenge. It's not a joy builder necessarily. Mostly, it can be a joy killer. It doesn't have to be the consequences of the pandemic, though. You may feel chained to a job that feels demeaning or unrewarding. You might feel shackled to a relationship or a set of responsibilities you didn't sign up for or you couldn't have foreseen. You may find parenting to be much more than you can cope with. There are all kinds of prisons. All of us have been there, and many of us are there now in some way. For example, here's a for instance. My husband, Bob, is currently working a job that is far beneath his education and his experience. The pay is for Duke, because he's working at Duke Durham Regional, it's a minimum wage for them. We, prior to this job, we experienced five years of unemployment. And during that five years, God provided for us, and he equipped Bob to take this particular position. Very, which was very different from the one he had before, a, luc a lucrative corporate job for many, many years. 
God opened only one door of employment for Bob. And there was someone from the inside of that door pulling to get him in. And there were those on the outside who were pushing him to get him through the door. And now he's been working this job for seven years. During this time, God has provided for us financially, but just enough. But what he's really, really done is to use Bob for his glory. Bob has prayed for patience, many, many patients. He's counseled and prayed with patients and co-workers. He's brought joy and hope to many who are depressed and lonely. We, Bob and I, have prayed for many of these people. We've also had daily morning devotions so that he's inspired by God and filled and equipped with God's Holy Spirit to be obedient to this particular call. This was not the way we imagined life. We didn't think that this is what we would be doing right now. It's not what we expected. It's not what we hoped for. But to live is Christ. It is the call of God. When I think of my family life and the years that I was a mom and a teacher, I remember that my immediate mission field was not overseas. It was right inside my house. It was the opportunity to live the gospel daily with our children in a myriad of ways. You don't have to go overseas to see a mission field. It's in your home. It's right outside the door in your neighborhood. Yes, Paul's situation may have looked bad on the outside, but Paul saw it all as an opportunity to further the gospel and the fulfillment of God's plan. So as we walk through this pandemic together and continue to be dealing with all that it brings to us, can we trust God with our wary disillusionment and our disappointment concerning what we've lost during the pandemic? And can we trust that even this will further the gospel? Let's pray. Father, encourage your dear women. Please, whatever situation they're in, Lord, whatever circumstance they find themselves in, please comfort them, be with them, and let them know that they are part, still able and are part of your plan of promoting your gospel, the gospel of reconciliation with you and that they are helping others to walk with Christ in your name.